Think Radio, where we talk about data, cloud, analytics, and AI with different guests, different hosts, and in different segments. This segment is called Data Journey, where our guests talk about how data moves around in their company, what technologies they use, and what value data brings to their products. Hello everyone, uh, today our guest is Alessandro Romano. Alessandro comes from Italy, but he currently lives in Hamburg in Germany, and he works as a data scientist at Freeno. Freeno builds a highly successful mobile app where you can book a taxi, electric scooter, electric bikes, or other vehicles. I will be speaking with Alessandro about how he and his company use data analytics and data science to build a data-driven product and also innovate in highly competitive market. Mm, Alessandro, it's great to have you here. Uh, let's start with the introduction. Could you please tell us more about who you are, what is your background and what you currently do at FreeNow? Yes, uh, thanks for the introduction and for inviting me here. Um, I can tell you about myself, um, especially how I started working as a data scientist. I think this is like a question that a lot of people um, ask me very often uh, and I understand why you can probably imagine that there's like a lot of confusion around this role. And uh, when I started like six years ago, more or less, when I started thinking of working as a data scientist or at least diving into the machine learning the machine learning field or the machine learning engineering field, uh, there were like a lot of open questions. So um, back then, regarding my background, I, I studied computer science and then I moved to um, um, like a master's about data science. Back then, we didn't have this name. The name was a bit different. Uh, it was called business informatics. So it was like a kind of mi mix of um, statistics, uh, computer science, and uh, some economics concepts, and uh, which makes totally sense if you think about what, what a data scientist does today. Uh, but back then, still, there was a lot of confusion. So we didn't have this kind of name in mind of working as a data scientist. And I remember when I started doing my interviews, um, basically during my, my last year um, at the university, um, I was struggling a lot um, looking for, for like the, the right company and uh, looking for the, for the data science role. Um, but, but that was my background. Basically, I was studying to become a data scientist. And I did many interviews. Um, and I remember that I was basically like looking at um, a lot of profiles, uh, job descriptions, uh, in order to understand what I had to master in order to like enter this field. Um, and then I did like many interviews and I remembered that a lot of people were looking for data scientists, but instead they meant uh, data analysts uh, as well as data engineering. So they were looking for data scientists, but they were looking, but instead they meant like data engineering. Um, so 
um, I after like a while, basically, um, back then I was also thinking of doing my PhD. Um, but then I decided to accept an offer I got from, from Hamburg uh, and I just moved to Germany. So it looked like a new experience and I started working as a data scientist uh, in the logistics field. So back then I was working for a startup providing solutions um, for the logistics sector. Um, yeah, and this is basically how I started. Um, and after that, I got a job at uh, Freenow, as you said, uh, which is basically a multi-mobility company now. So it's no longer about taxi. When, when, when Freenow started, it was all about taxis. But now they have different businesses um, uh, in, in that. So you can do different services. So, so you can, uh, as you say, like book a taxi, uh, private taxi, depending on the regions, uh, on the region you're in, you can uh, find the ride hailing business um, as well as, as well as like, electric scooters and so far so on. So the idea is to have everything within one app, which is actually solving a lot of issues. Uh, if you live in a big city, uh, you basically don't have to use different apps for different services. And why did you apply and accepted the offer from Freenow? What was uh, unique about this company comparing to other companies that you did interviews with? Yeah, so I, I, I knew Freenow, um, it's been a while now because it's very famous here in Hamburg. And so I was, I was a user before being an employee. And um, I was using the app a lot, actually. So it was very helpful. Uh, definitely the fastest way to get a taxi. Um, so it was very fascinating. You know, like it's like one of those companies, when you look at it, you're like, okay, they're, they're probably collecting a lot of data. So as a, as a data as a data guy, I'm looking at Freenam like back then it was, it was called My Taxi. I was looking at it and I was like, okay, they, they are collecting a lot of data. It will be fun to um, work for them So look at this data, see what kind of problems they're trying to solve. And, um, and, and, and these are like the two things that actually make a company interesting today for data scientists at least. So you have um, problems you want to solve. And on the other side, you have a lot of data. So you, you can imagine that you um, are having fun solving complex problems, if this is what you want to do. And you have, um, you have like the, the fuel for the problems. So the, you have the data uh, because this is, this is like the biggest like issue today. So if you don't have enough data, it might be very hard to uh, solve like a, a specific class of problems. Um, and uh, and this is this is what I what I also started doing at, at Freenow when I joined. Uh, because of course they they told me what kind of problems they were trying to solve. One of them is uh, the dynamic pricing in the in the ride hailing business. So every time you get you get a, like a taxi, um, like the private taxi, um, you you know that the price is changing, uh, and it's changing based on the demand and the supply. And this is a very like important and difficult problem to solve. So we spend a lot of time working on this problem, we analyze a lot of signals. And um, to me, it was very fascinating when I was uh, introduced to this kind of um, 
this kind of class of problems. And uh, this, this is the main reason why I decided to join the company. Uh, and then, of course, there are like a lot of uh, other reasons why I decided to stay afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, dynamic pricing uh, is really interesting because in the context of your mobile app, I assume that it must be done in real time. And it, it should also include a lot of uh, external data, like, like weather, let's say. So could you tell more about this, uh, this use case that you implement and how you use data and data science to, um, to provide, um, to build the best uh, machine learning model for dynamic pricing? Yeah. So as you say, this is about using uh, real-time data. If we look at the problem we're trying to solve, uh, everything is based on the signals we get from the market. So we try to um, propose the best price in order to balance demand and supply. So it's not always about engaging as much drivers as possible or as much passengers as possible, but it's more about balancing the market. So we don't care about increasing the revenue when uh, the difference between the, and the, the difference between demand and supply um, is too high. But instead, we want to balance these two signals. And uh, this makes uh, the environment like better. So we can provide a better service. We can increase our service level. And uh, working with this kind of signals, such as uh, demand and supply, um, it basically involves to work with real-time data. And, and this, this is also implying um, the use of specific technologies. So we want to get the stream of data, process them in real time, uh, and apply our solution uh, that can be like a machine learning solution or whatever you want to implement, and then provide in real time um, a response that is changing the price dynamically in order to make the passengers or the drivers aware that the price is, the, the price is increasing or decreasing. And by doing that, uh, as I say, that the final scope is to balance demand and supply. So this is the tool that we have to improve our service level. And what are the example data sources or maybe even data streams uh, that you use in your machine learning models to calculate the price dynamically? If we think of the demand and the supply, the demand is basically how many passengers are requesting a quote, are requesting like a drive. So you can imagine we have in one small city 10 passengers requesting a drive. So of a total of uh, these 10 passengers, they're all requesting like a taxi in that moment. And then we have only one driver available. And this is these are basically the numbers we're using to calculate the new price we want to show to the drivers and the passengers. And the way we're doing that is that in this situation where we have 10 passengers and one driver, we have a difference between demand and supply. So we see that the demand is very high, but we only have one driver available. Maybe the rest of 
the drivers, let's assume we have, I don't know, uh, five more drivers, they're all not available, but they already have the passengers in the car, so they cannot be reached. And what we do in this situation, when the supply is very high, we try to increase the price in order to only allow those passengers who are already, like who are really in need to um, have the possibility to uh, reach this driver and um, uh, book the taxi, basically. And we do, we do also the opposite. Uh, if we, if you look at the drivers and then you have a lot of drivers available, but just like one passenger, the price of course will be very low because the passengers, the passenger, the only one available needs to be picked up as soon as possible because we have a lot of drivers available. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. So, um, the base concept is very simple, but then the way we're like, automating and balancing the demand and the supply, of course, involves the utilization of uh, many signals. So now we're talking about the number of drivers, so the number of cars available in, in one city and the number of passengers requesting a drive, requesting a ride. Uh, but you can imagine that you can integrate a lot of like different signals, like uh, maybe the weather information, as you said, the historical information, so maybe you can look at um, how um, the environment responds to um, uh, during like certain peak hours and you can exploit this information in your model. So you have a lot of like new different signals apart from demand and supply you can integrate in your model. The weather, as you, as you say, the weather you mentioned the, um, that you mentioned before, is uh, something very interesting. So it definitely impacts like our predictions. So something we want to take in account uh, and definitely we work on that because it's a, it's a very important component. You can easily think of a situation where it's raining a lot, maybe in London, where we have like a very important and huge business. And basically, um whoever is leaving the the job uh who, whoever whoever is leaving the the office is requesting a, is requesting a ride and if it's raining very hard in that moment everyone will basically open the free now app or any competitors looking for a ride and trying to get the taxi as soon as possible no matter what the price is most of the times, so they don't really care about the price in those kind of situations. So this is definitely something we have to take into account. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do do you check the quality of your machine learning model that calculates the price? Because uh, you mentioned that you you would like to balance the supply and demand, but uh, some algorithm can balance it faster than others. And sometimes, uh, you, because if you put a very aggressive price, you, you can um, reduce the demand very quickly. But sometimes you might have some public event that is quite long. Let's say that, uh, that we have uh, some soccer game or a very big concert or people uh, commute back from the office. Mm 
and the, the demand will not be reduced uh, so fast. So do you have any, any quality metrics that you use to, uh, to figure out which version of the model is better? Because I, I believe that you have uh, you experiment a lot with those models. You try out some new techniques, new data points. But at the end of the day, you need to choose which uh, model should be working on production. Yeah, this is a very nice question. And uh, we have a bunch of KPIs we're looking at. So apart from looking at the, like, just just imagine you're working on a um, uh, like in general where you have to deal with a, um, prediction problem with a regression problem. The first thing you're looking at is the accuracy of the model. But of course, when you when you apply the model in production, um, the business doesn't really care about the accuracy of the model because if the model is not working properly online. When you apply to your to your environment, when you're using the model in um, um, for for like a real life problem, uh, you don't want to look at the accuracy because if the performances are not good, the accuracy is meaningless. So the accuracy, is, of course, is is useful when you want to look at the model performance, but then you need some KPIs to track the performance of the model when you apply when you're applying it online. And, and this is what we do. So it's not just about evaluating the model offline, of course, as you said, but it's also about testing it online. And testing the model for us means uh, running a lot of experiments, so dealing with A-B tests. So this is something we do a lot, and, we, and we're improving every day in the way we do the A-B testing. And second the KPIs we're using. So we have a bunch of KPIs, we and the business, so our stakeholders are looking at to understand the performance of our systems. And uh, this is up to this is up to the business. So you you if you ask like I don't know a competitor of us, it might be possible that they're using different KPIs because they want to track something in a different way. Of course, in the end, we're probably looking at the same stuff, but there might be some differences because of the way the business um, works in that specific city, in that specific country. Uh, but this is what we do when we test something online. So it's not just about having a perfect model offline, but then it's about seeing how the model is interacting with the environment when we apply it in production. And, and this is like one of the uh, big challenge we have. So once we have a model, it's not enough saying that it's performing well offline because then you're not taking into account uh, the influence that the model is having on the environment once you, once you apply once you apply the model itself. And, and you know that there is a kind of um, feedback loop between the model and the environment. So you can imagine that in a situation where the demand, uh, where the, this kind of imbalance between demand and supply is very high, the, the reaction of the model is trying to um, like help the drivers or the passengers to 
um, it's like interacting with the price, uh, acting on the price in order to engage more passengers or drivers. But what is happening in the environment is that we get a feedback from them because then they will react to the new price and the environment will change very fast in real time. And our model has to adapt to the new changes. And um, this feedback loop, feedback loop is something you don't have when you test the model offline, unless you have a very good environment where you can simulate whatever is happening in a city. So this is also like another interesting topic. And um, what you said about special occasions like, I don't know, um, football match in, in a city, like today we have a very important football match. And after the match, a lot of people, we start booking taxis with us and the competitors. Um, well, this is something, um, something very tough to take care of, but this is, this is why we have a real-time solution. So we want to deal, we want to have like a kind of general solution that is taking care of these very fast changes, changes you have in a city. And, um, yeah, th th this is basically, is a very good point. It's basically one of the things we try to improve every day because the model has to react fast to this kind of events. But in the same time, you don't want the model to uh, surge, to like have this kind of um, very, I don't know, like deep slope uh, whenever you're like increasing or decreasing uh, the price. So you want it to, um, you want to like to, you want the model to adapt to this kind of situation uh, because everything, especially in this kind of events, happens very fast. In your response, you mentioned a lot of, uh, a few actually very important topics uh, like uh, multiple KPIs, uh, the feedback loop, uh, experimenting, and your competitors. I would like to add uh, some follow-up questions uh, about them. So maybe um, let's uh, briefly talk about those KPIs. So in this uh, dynamic pricing machine learning model, what is your the most important uh, KPI that you look at? If there is a single one or, um, or if you need to look at many of them actually and interpret. Yeah. Um, I don't think that... There is like a perfect and general answer for the dynamic pricing in general. Like I think that the answer belongs to um, the business you're working in. In our case, um, for instance, it's very important to check how many of, of the quotes we get from the passengers, from, from our passengers, are converting into actual bookings. But is this enough? Probably not, because you also want to look at the drivers. But now we're already like one step beyond what the data scientist does, because when I look at the model, I'm looking at what I'm trying to optimize. And as I said before, what I'm trying to optimize most of the times is uh, this kind of imbalance between demand and supply. So this is my final goal. Um, I'm, I can look at the revenue, but as I say, it is not like 
the final goal of having a dynamic pricing solution uh, for the ride hailing. And, uh, and, and I think the answer is you look at whatever you want to optimize. In our case, I'm looking at this so-called imbalance. But of course, after that, we always look at uh, all the KPIs that our stakeholders, our business think is important for us to in order to improve our service. So you want to look at how many of these quotes, like converting into bookings. You want to look at uh, how many uh, how many of those bookings we are sending to the to the person to the drivers um, are actually um, converted into final tool. So if the drivers are like if, if the drivers like the offers we are sending them, and um, and then it's all about how you use this information. You can have many metrics. Uh, built on top of this funnel, like the creation of a quote, so like requesting a ride, creation of a quote, a booking, the final tool. You can build several KPIs on top of it. Um, and then it's a matter of how you want to look at them. So what is this important? What is important in this quarter or maybe for the company in general? And uh, it might even possible that, and I've seen this from from. Um, from stakeholders in general, it's not just about free now. Um, these priorities change very fast. Um, and within one year, among different quarters, you might have like a um, kind of plot twist, and then you end up looking at different metrics, uh, different KPIs, because maybe the vision, um, the, the vision has been changed. Uh, and this happens very often. So you have the same KPIs, but you're looking at them in a different way. But definitely it depends on, uh, it's not really about like dynamic pricing, but it really depends on um, the business you're working in. For us, mm -hmm. of course, it's very important to engage as many drivers and passengers as possible. And then apart from how we optimize the model, the second step is to look at the right KPIs that are basically giving us um, the best overview of how our model is interacting with the environment and how the environment, in this case, the city, like giving us um, like this kind of feedback loop. Feedback loop. Yeah, so th this means that you uh, collaborate very closely with stakeholders and business owners or people who are responsible for the uh, strategic uh, decisions to to define the KPIs that you would like to optimize for and build build a data driven product that um, uh, that delivers those KPIs. Yeah. And what I also noticed is that the feedback loop that you have in your app is very uh, short and frequent because you immediately see what is the response uh, from passenger of uh, our drivers. And you can also experiment quite a lot uh, uh, with the price, even, even the, same, uh, the same minute, the same hour. So this makes you uh, different from uh, companies that build, for example, uh, background mobile apps. So for instance, Spotify is this type of application where you can, of course, skip some songs 
when you listen actively to that app, but but usually you use that app in the background when you work, when you commute, or when you run. And sometimes you might listen to some song that you don't like, but you will not skip it because it's not convenient for you to uh, to to do that because the app is in, in different room, let's say. So, or if you look at retailers. They could also change the, the price dynamically, but they cannot do that uh, that often. Well, maybe maybe those days where we have very high inflation, uh, they change the price more often, but it's not uh, not as frequently uh, as you can do that based on real uh, feedback from uh, from the passengers or drivers, because this. Uh, we talk about dynamic pricing, but if you look at um, predictions, like when the driver arrives to the destination, you can predict that this will take 15 minutes. And uh, later you will see what was the um, accurate uh, number of minutes. And if, if, if this is 10 minutes or 20, you can also include that uh, feedback in the, the model that you uh, develop so that uh, the model can learn actually the same day from the feedback that you have. So this is, this is quite powerful that you can um, get a lot of uh, feedback uh, from the passengers and drivers, and they can give you this feedback explicitly or implicitly. Uh, implicitly. Yeah. It's very tough for us to like get very hard to get like uh, uh, explicit feedback from, from, from our customers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do, um, but I'm talking about the, the, the surge, so the dynamic pricing part. Um, everything happens very fast. So how is how, how can you get like a, an explicit feedback about that? Uh, what you want to do is to just collect the behaviors of this. Uh, drivers and passengers understand uh, what you did wrong, what you did right, and then improve the model based on this, based on this signal, based on this feedback. Um, and A/B testing plays a very, very important role here. So, as you say, we we deal with experiments um, every day, and in order to improve our model, we need to put a lot of effort on designing these experiments um, as well as that that basically means uh, we need to find the best time to run the experiment. Uh, We need to uh, understand what's the target population. We need to understand how to create the control group. We need to understand what's the null hypothesis, how how we can have some results we can easily look at. So the designing of an experiment for us means having ending up with some results we can uh, easily understand and we can analyze. Um, and uh, yeah, so we 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 get like a, we collect a lot of data and uh, we do experiments online, and this is a key part of um, how, in general, you can improve. Uh, systems like this. Yeah, absolutely. And when talking about uh, experimenting, uh, what is the technology stack that you use to um, experiment 
uh, develop new machine learning models and also deploy them on production at, at large scale because your scale is uh, is probably a lot many millions of users yeah so um i can give you like an overview um about how as a data scientist um run experiments and design and implement um uh, the models we we um were working on but then there is also the machine learning engineering part i don't have all the details but i can more or less give you an overview also about that so first of all we use databricks so databricks is um almost like our main tool when it's about uh designing and implementing a new model um also our data ana analysis team is using it a lot so we we rely on databricks in order to have everything in one place um we can use the power of uh pyspark so everything is like distributed when we have to deal with big data uh we know that we can uh run like big analysis and we don't have any kind of limitations and um, as well as for the data science for the machine learning for the machine learning part we use databricks um so you can imagine like instead of just using a normal jupyter notebook we're implementing everything in databricks or at least like the first mvp the first prototype is usually made in databricks and then of course we move we try to move everything like um from databricks to like uh, IDE, I don't know. In my case, I use PyCharm a lot. So, um, and even though this is not about the stack, is a very important step because a lot of people coming from university or like academia in general, they're not used to. Um, I mean, then they, they they don't really know that you have to deal with this. So you have to deal with the fact that when you start working in a Jupyter notebook or in a databricks notebook then you can have a production environment in databricks so eventually your 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 like databricks notebook um can be productionalized um but it's not always optimal sometimes you can't do it and in my opinion if you're dealing with something uh with a big with a very big project you need to work in your IDE. So as I say, they use PyCharm usually. And uh, this is a very important step because it means like um, having a more like software engineering view to whatever you're implementing. And, uh, and then of course, in our case, we also have to deal with how we can run this code from our local machine in the clusters because sometimes it's something um distributed so it's something that we have to run on um um distributed cluster like uh, the clusters we use in databricks so i consider this also part of our stack and uh, apart from that we rely a lot on airflow whenever we have to automate something so you can imagine that um you can build Let's forget about like PyCharm, but you can build um, your training pipeline in Databricks, and then you can have everything um, running through Airflow, which is 
um, in charge of scheduling whatever you want to uh, automate. Um, and you can also do this in Databricks, honestly. So there is this like option of uh, schedule um, like a training, but I have tried that, but I'm not always relying on it because as long as you have everything within Databricks, that, I mean, it, it, it works pretty well. But if you want to take everything out, um, the only way you have to, I mean, if you if you don't want to rely on Databricks and maybe you want to take your code out from there, you still need to um, use Airflow. So eventually what we do is like uh, whatever we want to execute the Databricks not, notebook, which is uh, which contains your training pipeline, you can use this uh, Databricks operator, which is calling the Databricks notebook from Airflow, um, and then you uh, build your um, training pipeline from there. So you execute your Databricks notebook and Airflow uh, will take care of it. And uh, on top of that, uh, as I said, we also use Databricks for a lot of analysis. Um, and then, of course, we have Tableau. Tableau is also like one of our main tools on the uh, data analytics side. Um, I don't personally use Tableau. Uh, I have some experience, but this is not something I, I do. Um, so when I have to deal with uh, visualizations or in general presentations, when I have to present some analysis, I always rely on uh, Python, Matplotlib. But we do have Tableau, which is um, basically the way we interact with uh, our stakeholders. Um, but also as a data scientist, I have access to a lot of like dashboards we implement. Um, and uh, regarding the dynamic pricing solution we have uh, in production, we rely a lot on TensorFlow, which is basically helping us to do all of, all of the operations we have to do in real time. And uh, yeah, in general, we are like AWS based, but as I, I will say that this is just like a detail for us. I remember in my previous company, I was dealing a lot with AWS. I was building my own stack. I was working with CDK a lot. So I was um, basically using Terraform through Python. Um, and I was touching the resources I needed for my stack. I needed for inference, for training, and so forth so on. In this case, the fact that we're using AWS is a decision that is not really impacting our um, daily life, like our uh, job, um, because we don't really see it. I mean, as I said, we look at the services we are using every day, like Databricks, Tableau, uh, Airflow, the fact that they are, these services are hosted on AWS is just like a small detail for us. Mm -hmm. For us in terms of data scientists or uh, engineering analysts. And for instance, do you also use uh, tools such as MLflow uh, to keep track of your experiments or Kedra? To, to use some uh, predefined templates of your ML projects? Yeah, we use, we do use um, MLflow. Uh, this is actually something that um, 
comes out of the box if you use Databricks. Um, integration with Databricks is probably one of the coolest feature you have. Um, and through MFLOW, you can easily track your experiments. You have everything in one place. Uh, you just have to call one simple function and it track whatever you want. That's very helpful because every time you run your ex you execute a Databricks notebook, you basically lose you, you can lose track of whatever the output is if you go through like in a, a new running. So what you want to do is uh, track all of the all of the information you are uh, getting as as output from uh, from your notebook and track them uh, through MLflow. Um, so yeah, we we use MLflow a lot. Uh, it has a lot of like uh, pros and um, yeah, I have to say it's it's one of the thing I really uh, like the most from Databricks. Uh, actually, MLflow was open sourced by Databricks, so. Uh, so they are creators of this tool. So definitely, this this is also nicely integrated in their offering that yeah. they provide uh, in the cloud. Regarding the real time technologies, do you also use uh, technologies like Kafka or Flink for uh, as a real time uh, streaming data collection and uh, processing? Yeah, um, I, I mean, we we use them, but we're not maintaining them. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is not like my, uh, like my job to maintain this this kind of streams. But yeah, we do have um, Kafka streams, which we are consuming in order to uh, build the final data set we use for the um, for the dynamic pricing solution we have in place. So Kafka is is our choice. Mm -hmm. And we have a few minutes left, so I would like to ask uh, two or three final questions. And, yes. um, and one is about your uh, competitors, uh, because the mobility market is very competitive. There are other companies that uh, develop uh, some mobile services to book a taxi, or e-scooter, e -scooter. Uh, so what is uh, unique about FreeNow or what data-driven features you provide to make your application unique so the users uh, want to use your app? Uh, for instance, you already mentioned that it's very convenient that you can use your app and book many different vehicles, which is convenient in large cities because... Uh, we can get uh, easy access to them. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's a very tough question. I, I think that probably there is someone at Freenow who can answer this better than me, I hope. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sure that uh, this is the question that CEO uh, should be yeah, asked. I imagine that he has, uh, he has a very good question for it. I can, I can tell you that, uh, like my very personal so first of all, there's like my, my answer as a user. I can tell you that here in Hamburg, having this multi-mobility app is a lot of fun. I mean, you can, as I said, you can just use one app and you do everything with it. I use the app every day. Um, I don't have a car and I don't want to buy one. So having one app 
from where you from where I can access a lot of uh, car sharing services is very cool. So I do use it every day. Um, I don't think I'm biased. I was using this also before joining FreeNow. But apart from the, this, um, I can provide like a, an answer as a, as a data scientist, like as someone who is in the data team. Uh, we have a great data team. This is my answer. We have a great data team. We have a lot of smart people, uh, way smarter than me probably, and they're they are great. We work on a lot of cool solutions and a lot of solutions and, and also a lot of problems are actually coming from, a lot of questions are actually coming from our team. And uh, we have we have like a huge data team composed by data engineers, uh, data analysts, um, business people in general, um, data scientists, and, and we're doing like a great job. I see like people proposing solutions for our problems every day and, and they feel like always very involved, ready to help. Uh, and as I say, they're all smart. So I think that this is probably in my opinion, one of the key to, uh, for the su success, I, I imagine. Uh, as I said, probably um, someone else in the company, maybe closer to the management, has like a better like answer, but this is what I see. This is what I see from, from our team. I see that we have like a bunch of people working on a lot of cool stuff. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, if with the data today, you can... Uh, you can improve your you can improve your company. Um, I I see that this is what we're trying to do now within within my team, and I'm very happy about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I check also uh, public information about uh, three now, and for instance, uh, it's visible that uh, that your company and the app is uh, is growing uh, very fast, and more and more uh, employees work there, and more and more users. Uh, use the app, which is uh, which is probably one of the KPI that you also uh, keep track. What is the number of users? What is the churn? How satisfied yeah. they are? So uh, yeah, so really really good numbers. Last uh, final question is about um, the trends that you currently see in big data and data science landscape that are worth uh, watching, in your opinion. So, um, so is there something that brings your attention right now that you think that, that be, will become very important in, uh, in the near future? Uh, for instance, some technologies or maybe some new techniques like graph neural networks or some, um, um, some other research that is done somewhere that you think that uh, that it's useful to keep track of yeah well my my view about is not really about new technologies but it's about old technologies so uh, it's about technologies we we thought we could have started using a lot and we try to exploit concepts like neural networks a lot. We try to apply to a bunch of different problems and classes of problems, and we didn't really succeed. I mean, I I have uh, 
I have I have heard and also seen a lot of stories of people trying to solve problems. Um, I don't want to say like in the in the, in the wrong way, but they were following probably the trends. So they 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 thought that uh, the AI could have solved everything, and and it didn't really happen. So I think that what is happening right now is that we understood that I'm just saying neural networks, but it can be also something else. That neural networks are not really are not there to solve everything, but they they need to be applied to the right class of problems. And then there are a lot of other technologies coming from statistics, computer science, that can be applied in a successful way to a lot of problems that don't need fancy solutions like neural networks. We have talked about that too much, and probably a lot of people follow the trend just to say, okay, this is how we're solving our solution, but in the end that could have done with a simple regression or even better with a simple, like, I don't know, implementation of a function you already know about. This is what I usually um, tell people when they ask me, how did you get there? How did you get to that solution, to that specific solution? I'm always like, well, I started with the function I thought uh, could have solved this this problem, and then it didn't work, and I moved to something else, and I moved to machine learning, and then I tried to learn that function. Um, but the step is always like, do you need a function? Just write it yourself, or if you can't because it's too complex, uh, train a model and let the model do it for you. Um, and I think that at some point during the last like years, but now we, we were like getting at a point where people really understand how to use this stuff. So during the last years, we, we, we lost track of this. We lost track of what's the right process. And we started like filling the market with a lot of technologies based on fancy AI and a lot of bug, uh, buzzwords. And, and that didn't really work out. And I see that some of them didn't succeed because they were just like selling something that uh, wasn't really needed. Um, and and I don't believe that we did it. We did that like too fast. So I don't. I don't think we did this came too early. And I, I really believe that people started to applying these solutions to a lot of problems that didn't re- didn't really require that. So my 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 answer is. What I what I see for the future is like, and this is already happening, is like accepting, like and understand what working with data, with big data, and working as a data scientist um, mean uh, now in 2000, 2022. So we're basically getting at that point where we know that AI is just like a word and the technologies, whatever technology we want to use, uh, need to be applied to the right class of problems. And um, yeah, uh, in terms of like technologies, um, I I don't know. I mean, I, I I see a lot of interesting things around. I see a lot of MLOP solutions. I got a, I get a lot of emails every day. I believe that some of them can be 
can be used by like some some of the companies out there. In our case, we most of the times when we have to deal with a new problem, uh, this problem requires a custom solution. So it's very hard for us to buy one of these MLOps or AI all-in-one solution uh, because most of the times we have to build something custom. So I don't see ourselves going in that direction. But maybe some some small businesses uh, can can definitely like uh, spare some money and instead of hiring a machine learning engineer, they can try one of these fancy MLOps AI solution at first. It is definitely like a nice way to get into 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 the field. I imagine. Um, but yeah, there is no like um, um, perfect and general tool that is always giving you the answer given the data you are um, you're feeding into the tool itself. So you you need to be aware of that. And um, yeah, so I see that this is like a period where we're learning a lot. We are just forgetting about a lot of buzzwords. We are trying to shape. The, the definition of AI, which can be everything. Uh, like I think that 20, 30, 40 years ago, AI was just like a bunch of um, rules in a uh, built-in, I don't know, C probably, uh, or even worse, I don't know. So that was AI back then. So I think that AI in the end means nothing, it means just that you have something automated and it seems smart. Um, but yeah, we're working on it, and uh, I see that we are like in a um, on the on the right track. Uh, when you were <clears throat> answering to that question, I was uh, it reminded me the <clears throat> the memo that the Google CEO sent to their employees about how they should um, work in the current microeconomics that they have and that they should have sharper focus. For instance, and this uh, this suggests me that uh, that you need to know what tools, what algorithms, and what technologies you can use for a particular problem, and avoid to over engineering the the solution or try to uh, try to build some fancy solution where yeah. uh, where some state of the art solution could could work very well. So, yeah. And let's be honest, like uh, over-engineered solutions are always very hard to maintain. So I hope mm -hmm. I, will not be the, I will not be the one who is going to maintain a very difficult and over-engineered solution. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it's also interesting time ahead to, to see uh, how the, uh, the world and also the solutions that are built uh, by uh, different companies can uh, can evolve. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Alessandro, uh, very much uh, for the conversation with you. I hope that uh, we'll see soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me here and uh, we will meet in person in Poland. Yes, yes. So I will add one information that Alessandro will be speaking at Datamask conference in Gdańsk, uh, Poland in September uh, thirty. Uh, 30 so uh, there will be a chance also to speak in person uh, for with him uh, for everyone who attends this uh, conference
If you are interested in new episodes of Radio Data, please follow us on Acast, Spotify and other podcasting platforms. Also visit gettingdata.com to find more information about other ways that we gather and share the knowledge.